As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderveen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Here we are on the Kick Aspirational Podcast today. I am uh, I'm really excited about talking with Sam Sam Silverstein today about um, about the about about accountability, um, not just about theories of accountability, which uh, his new book Theory of Accountability uh, is something we should all pick up and read, but also about uh, doing accountability, being accountable, <laughs> um, and and really kind of being part of a culture of accountability. Sam, I noticed. Um, well, first of all, thank you for joining the podcast today. Absolutely, David. It's great to be here and and wonderful to see you again and have the opportunity to to have this conversation because it matters. It, well, it does. And, and, you know, here's here's a funny, quick little story. I was we were on this. We got on the call at the right time, but I was uh, struggling to manage uh, another phone call that was going long. Um, and so I was sort of unaccountable to you and this time. And the conversation I was having was about accountability in projects um, where I'm where I'm working right now uh, with uh, you know some very large global projects and uh, and so it was kind of ironic and and at the same time <laughs> important but I just think you know it's 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 always interesting to get caught in your own accountability circle I guess. Well, yeah, I get that. Look, first of all, none of us are perfect. And we're going to have a great conversation today. I'm going to put a lot out on the table. I'm working on this. You know, I'm trying to be a better me. I'm, I, I can't tell you that I, that I've nailed everything. I can't tell you that I don't make mistakes. That, that would just be a bald faced lie. But I do believe that if we're aware of certain things that we can be our very best self. And the first thing I'm going to throw out on the table is that uh, we're responsible for things. We're accountable to people. Accountability exists between human beings, between people. That report won't hold you accountable. You're responsible for it. Now, I won't hold you accountable either because I don't believe in holding people accountable. I believe in helping people be accountable. As a leader, you want to help people be accountable because it creates a whole different relationship. So I already just put a whole bunch on the table. No, and that, I have no idea where you want to go with no, this conversation. This is, perfect. This, but, is, this is exactly this is exactly where I wanted to start. I know that um, you know if, if people go to the Accountability uh, Institute website and look you up or just look up your name, Sam Silverstein, they're going to find the Accountability Institute and the work that you do there. And one of the things that you really highlight, kind of repeatedly, is you know, this assess, create, transform, that the quality of leadership and the strength of culture, culture sort of delivers on the speed of execution. And the, the funny thing is you're talking about a few really different things, right? Like when you say, do you want it cheap, fast, or good? You could pick any two, right? And and so when you're talking about quality of leadership, strength of culture, speed of execution, you're really talking about investing in people and helping people transform themselves, I think, in a lot of ways. Is that, am I getting that part right to Absolutely. Ultimately, here's what you want. You want a situation. Uh, when I wrote my book, Non-Negotiable, I interviewed 100 people at Happy State Bank. And the most common quote I received was, I would rather die than let Pat down. Now, Pat was the C president and CEO at that point. Um, this is what we hear at the Institute. We call them the most accountable organization we've come across. Their numbers are outstanding because we have an assessment. We can measure that. And 
So all these people said, I'd rather die than let Pat down, which so you scratch your head and you go, why do they say that? So Mm -hmm. I went into his office and I asked him, I said, are you prepping the people I'm interviewing? Now, I knew the answer to that question, but I still had to ask it because I was hearing this so much. And he laughed and he says, no, I'm not prepping them. And I says, well, I knew that. And the reason they would rather die than let him down is because they know he would rather die than let them down. Now, when your team knows that you have that level of commitment to them, which is we will we can connect the word commitment to the definition of accountability. But when they know you have that level of commitment to them, then and only then will they have that level of commitment to you, to the organization, to the clients and customers of the organization. Um, That's where it starts. That's where it starts. No, I think that's brilliant. I mean, it's it's personal, right? Accountability is a personal thing. If you if you trust your upline, if you trust your boss, if you trust the founder because they're so committed, because they don't let things slide, and not just to the customer, not just to maybe their top partners, but to the staff, to the people that actually have to make the work happen, um, it it creates a, a culture. I guess is that is that part of what, where you're going with this? So yeah. So here's the thing. It's interesting. You mentioned upline. I. I know several people who have um, dropped out of their organizations simply because their leader did not did not commit to them and deliver at a very personal and visceral level. They thought they were, but they were constantly letting their people down. And so that doesn't endear you and that doesn't cement a relationship. So. So. It's it all comes back to culture. So accountability, you can't mandate accountability. We see organizations all the time. They go, okay, one of our values is accountability. Well, that sounds nice, but I just don't buy into that. Accountability is not an inflow. Accountability is an outflow from a specific set of actions. Action follows beliefs. So certain beliefs have to be in place. And what happens is organizations that are that accountability is off the charts high. It happens in the culture. It's the culture, the leader and the culture that inspires people to want to be their best and to choose to be accountable because the leader is accountable to them first. And and I love that you said, I mean, there's a lot of solid gold in that. Um, You said actions follow beliefs. And so there has to be a belief there before you're going to get the corresponding action that, that, that comes out of it. How do you instill that belief? Where does, you know, um, I have theories on that, but what, what, how do you believe that, that that belief is instilled into the organization? Ah, so there is the million dollar question. <laughs> and the <laughs> question got there. is, <laughs> do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people think they believe something. They want to believe something. But their actions tell me that they really don't. Remember, action follows belief. You want to know what I believe? Spend a day with me. You can you can put your Bose headsets on. You don't have to uh, hear a word coming out of my mouth. All you have to do is see how I interact with people. And from that, you will learn what I think and believe. So the organizations, the leaders that we work with, the organizations that thrive are the leaders that believe that their people matter, that their people matter more than they do. And they do everything they can for their people. 
not for themselves, not for their people, because their people will do something for them, but just selflessly for their people. And when you treat people a certain way, they're going to respond a certain way. The challenge is there's a lot of leaders out there who think they're they're all that in a bag of chips, but it's all about they want to use accountability to manipulate people to do more for them. Right. And that that's not going to work. And that's not going to build a, a culture that inspires people to want to be their best and go into a dark alley back to back with you and fight off any competition. Right. And you think about loyalty in those terms too, right? You see people like, are you loyal to me? If you're asking the question, you've already lied. You're in the wrong place, right? Well, it's like the leader that says, you've got to earn my trust. Okay. <laughs> so what do we know about that leader? We know they don't trust you. Right. If the leader doesn't trust me. Why should I trust her or him? And right. why would you hire someone that you don't trust? The leader that says that has it all wrong. The leader has to earn the trust of their people. Leader has to give trust and empower people. And, and it's unbelievable how many leaders by title are out there that just don't get it. This is how they were taught. They worked for somebody that said these things, so they say them, and they don't stop and think about what it is they truly believe and how it impacts their people. But, you know, you got to go back at some point. What do you believe? Well, you have to trace back. You have to take the time. Be introspective. Do you know what your source is? What is it that when you have to make a decision that you go to? And it could be some traditional writing, whether it's the Quran, the Torah, the Bible, uh, Hammurabi's Code. It could be Alice in Wonderland. It could be Uncle Max or Aunt Sarah. I really don't care. But if you don't know what it is, then how do you stay consistent in your beliefs, in your actions and make great decisions? No, now, I, I'm, I, I'm betting we're already going in a direction that was different than oh, what you expected. By the way, I love this. I'm taking copious notes. I hope the listeners are as well. And in fact, I know that probably half of um, and by the way, I have a I have pages of notes that we we're going to you know hopefully talk about. But um, we'll see if we get through pages. But the uh, I assume that a lot of this stuff is in the books you've already written. Right. I mean, you've got you've got a long list of, of best selling books, including the new theory of accountability. Exactly. And the, we have 11 books out. The 12th book comes out in, in a couple of months. And um, this just keeps flowing to me. And every time I write a book, it seems like I, I'm being shown a way to take this deeper and have greater understanding. And, and the reason we struggle with accountability in society is because we don't understand it. We don't use the right words. We don't understand how, how we should be engaging it. We don't understand how to engage people around us with it. And so some of us, some of us, you know, some of us are lucky. Some of us are not. Some of us were taught by good people. We don't know why it works, but we were taught the right way. Some of us weren't. So what I've been doing for the last, formally for the last 29 years um, is, is discovering what this is all about, what, how accountability really works. How do we as human beings have the biggest impact we can have in our life, in the lives of the people we care about? And in the in the in the broader world that we live in, that's what it's about. No, hundred percent. And I think you know, you just hit another big touch point, which is you know, when you think about going back to culture, you think about values, you think about all of these sorts of things. The um, 
you know, the fundamental issue in most of it, like I, there's a great article in the Harvard Business Review on sabotage and corporations and, you know, why people do it, et cetera. And basically, you know, they were interviewing a number of psychologists, you know, really smart psychologists. And they were saying people behave the way they learn things at home typically. And, you know, there's good parents, bad parents, older I get, the more grateful I am for the parents I had. But Look, if you've been a parent, none of us, (laughs) there was no manual that we were working from, right? We're mostly working from, you know, concepts we grew up with, maybe something we learned at church or in some other values training that we got someplace along the way. It's kind of a, it's very little, you know, directly intended kind of work there. Um, So, you know, whether it's accountability, whether it's um, other, you know, functional and dysfunctional behaviors that we have, how do we go about, okay, one, understanding the theory of accountability, which I think is critical so that we actually have the knowledge that we're trying to to work with. But the second part is you can have the knowledge, you can have the menu, but if you can't eat, then, you know, (laughs) you're just looking at the menu. How do you actually understand where you are if you want to make changes here? And then how do you actually make the changes and not only in yourself, probably in yourself to start, but also in, in the culture you work with? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it's not about knowing something; it's about putting it into action and leveraging that knowledge for for good, for the good of the people around you, for the for your good, for community. Um, so, I believe you can only be your very best if you allow others to help you be your best. And if you were helping other people be their best, I can't be my best self unless I'm helping someone else. That doesn't make sense. If, if I'm not helping someone be better, then I'm certainly not my best self. Right. But I also have to be open to people. But you have to be careful who you let speak into your thought life. So um, a couple of years back, I wrote a book called The Accountability Circle. And I'm not trying to pitch the book, but you asked a question and this really answers it. And, you know, we hear a lot about mastermind groups. We hear about mentors and and all that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. The problem with a mastermind group is mastermind groups are designed to operate under best practice. You and I and 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 let's say Five other people come together and there's seven of us and we meet once a month and we discuss best practice in business. And who are your resources? Who are my resources? I'm having a challenge in this area. Who's had the same challenge and dealt with it successfully? And we help each other with those challenges. And that's all really good. And accountability circles totally different. Accountability is keeping your commitments to people. There are 10 relational commitments, commitments like a commitment to live the values, a commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose, a commitment to the truth, a commitment to it's all of us, which means if you fail, I fail. And only when you succeed, do I succeed. These are relational commitments. But in an accountability circle, if you and I or you and I and 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 one, two, three, four, five other people were to get together, we would actually take the time to deep dive and understand what is our source. We need to know what our source is. And then what is our unique purpose and have a unique purpose statement. And then what is our mission? Now our purpose is what brings us joy in the service of others. Our mission is our purpose in action. And then what are, what's our values narrative and not just five, seven, eight, 10 words. What do those words mean? Now, 
when we have all that, then what happens is you and I get together and we're discussing something, something that's going on with your kids or my kids or something that's going on in our business or something that's going on in our community. It really doesn't matter. And, and I need to make a decision. And I tell you that this is what I'm thinking about doing. And you might go, whoa, 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 Sam, back off for a second. Let's look at this. Because if you make that decision, does that really align with your mission? Mm. And are you really honoring and living your values or are you stepping away from those? Because you can't, if you're going to help me be accountable, you have to know what my values are and you have to know if I'm aligned with those values. And that's a deep, trusting, serious relationship between people. But I can, you know, I can do a lot of this myself. I can get better on my own, but I make the biggest jumps when I'm influenced by people who I trust their voice, who understand what it is that I'm trying to do, who, who get what my values are and I get their values. So that close inner circle is what I lean on to help be my best. Yeah. And I'm guessing, I mean, a couple of things on, I mean, just so I got it right. You've got your source, which is where your values come from the purpose, which is joy, how you find joy in the service of others. In the service of others, yeah. Right. Mission is your purpose and action. And is the fourth, is there a fourth thing that's the action? Itself? Well, then it's your values, your values narrative. What are those values? You know, that, 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 can you, can you um, give me an example of a values narrative. Okay. For instance, like, so for me, I, I've simplified things. I've been working on this for a long time. My values are integrity, respect, and significance. Now, you can say, wow, those are great values, Sam. I, I love integrity. But if I asked you to define integrity, you might define it differently than I do. So values narrative is the whole description. So for me, integrity is I make decisions based on the belief that my word is my bond and doing what is right is always the right thing to do. I commit to this no matter what. That's the narrative. So for instance, significance for me is I create meaning in my life and in the lives of the people around me. I look for ways to create significance for my family. I make the effort to get to know people. That's really key. I look for potential in the people from whom I come in contact. I encourage people. I participate in my community and I work to make a difference. So that's how I define significance. So now I, when you have that understanding of how I define significance, you're in a position where you can have a conversation with me and advise me because you know what my values are. You know how I see them, how I understand them. So you can help me be my best me. Now, in an organization, in a company, a lot of companies will throw values on the wall, but people don't know how to live them because they don't have the narrative. What does that mean? So like it, go back to Happy State Bank, one of their values is, is integrity. Do what's right. First time, every time, no matter what it costs, no matter who it offends, um, no, no matter uh, the perceived consequence. You know, they, you know exactly what you're supposed to do in stepping out that value. And so as long as you make decisions that connect to the values, you're going to make a good decision. The reality is life is filled with challenges individually, in business, wherever we're stepping out when you really know what your values are, when they've defi been defined and you have a great narrative and you have a great set, not just great values, there's a difference between great values and a great set. You, there's a great set must meet certain standards. Um, and I have a free handout if you want to make it available. Yeah. That'll help people figure out what their values are. But when you 
when you have a great set of values and you're and you're stepping them out, what you've done is made every decision you ever need to make before the challenge presents itself. And so a situation presents itself and you know how to react. You know how to make a decision because that decision must align with your values. If it doesn't, those are not your values. So it's basically it gives you the situational ethics. It defines what your what your morals are going to be, what your ethics are going to be, so that when you walk into the situation where it might be convenient to abandon the values, you have a narrative that reinforces the hard decision rather than the convenient decision. Is that is that right? Exactly. And it's what you believe. Right. You know, beliefs are inward facing, values are outward facing. And so the values are a reflection of what I believe. But if I'm not living my values, then I can't say that I believe that. You know, someone once asked me, are values, are these inspirational? Are these targets? And I'm like, or are they where you're at? If you're not living it, it's not your value. I don't believe in inspirational values. I believe you can right now decide this is how I'm going to live. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get better at it. Okay, we can all get better, but I believe honesty. If that's a value, well, are you honest or not? If this is a this is a binary decision, X's and O's, O's and ones, whatever. You know, it, there is no middle ground. If, if you either are honest or you aren't, right? No, I mean, I think the uh, the the interesting thing about this is it's it's. I, part of the reason I love like, Jim Collins as an author as well is because he says, you know, you can, you can, you know, core values are what, you know, it's the core values and companies that apply them that allow them to endure over time beyond a product and a person. And, you know, he has these mechanisms that he talks about to help you put those values in your life. And it sounds like, um, it sounds like you're doing something very similar. One of the things I'm less impressed with, with Jim is he says, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what your values are. You just have to have them and apply them. I'm kind of like, well, okay. I actually think there are better values than others. I think, you know, <laughs> you know, for example, uh, I guess whoever refers to Nazi Germany first loses an argument, but you know, Nazi Germany had a set of values that they applied really well. And, um, uh, you know, um, some people would say they were really successful for a time. Right? Yeah. Yep. Let's go there. Let's go there. First yeah. of all, anyone that wants help determining what their values are, you can go to valuesworksheet.com. There's a yes. free download. Valuesworksheet.com. Values yeah. And the reason it's important, it's not just about having any values. You, your values set, the whole set of values in the set must con connect to four areas. Some values will connect to one, two, three, or all four, but you need to have foundational values, which speak to your character. You need to have professional values, which speak to the level of excellence that you want to work at. You need to have relational values, which, well, they talk about how you interact with other human beings. And if you're doing it for a company, you have internal relationships and external relationships that both have to be addressed and community values. How do you connect with and serve the community that, that you are a part of? Because that's critical as well. Um, and by the way, before we, we leave, the, I mean, it's, um, this free values worksheet sounds amazing. Valuesworksheet.com. Um, but you also help people put this in. You have a process to help people learn to do this. Um, at the at the Accountability Institute, correct? Absolutely. It's 
At the Accountability Institute, our mission is to build a more accountable world. And what we do is we offer a certification so people can become certified accountability advisor. Now, some individuals may choose to go this route for their own personal growth and development to be better in their business, for their business, for their companies. But also, we have a lot of people that come into this program with the idea that once they're certified, they can take the resources. And we have uh, over 40 hours, and we're adding another another uh, 15 uh, currently, of development work in PowerPoint decks, participant uh, workbooks, facilitation guides. So they can take this material and work with other organizations and help and people, individuals, and help them be their best. So some people use it themselves, use it internally in their organizations. Others are using it to help others. And it's all at the accountabilityinstitute.com. That's our, that's my passion. No, and, and, and I love this because I think part of the question, you know, I look at the organization that I'm leading right now and, you know, I think accountability is essential. Um, obviously that was the call I was on just before we got to this call. And the, you know, it's difficult um, and it's, it's, it's important work, um, which is probably why it's not easy. And to your point, if you're not committed to it at the, at the top, it's not going to happen at the bottom. Um, it has to start at the top. I want to back up to something though, what you talked about, someone living their values. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Nazi Germany. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. First of all, we've, de- we've defined non-negotiable core value, a positive standard that respects the rights of others and is absolute. Right. So, so already, you know, when you look at something like Nazi Germany, when you look at what's going on in other parts of the world, is it a positive standard that respects the rights of others and is absolute? Or is it just some sort of uh, we're committed to killing you if you have purple hair, you know, Um, based on what you look like, where you come from, what you believe, or because you happen to sit on top of oil and we want your oil, gold, lithium, Fill in the Wheat. blank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wheat. Yeah, exactly. And so, so if it's not a positive standard that respects the rights of others, then it's not really a value. Right. It, it, um, so well, it, I wouldn't no, but, say that yeah. I wouldn't say that they successfully lived a set of values. I would say that they successfully carried out a mandate of hatred. Well, it, no, I, I think that's the way the rest of the world feels as well, right? Now, exactly. I think, and I think the a really good point there is if you ask, let's, let's just take devil's advocate and you see this in other tribal communities as well. If you ask the tribe, um, do they, you know, are they loving and including and working with integrity with, with everyone? They'd say, yeah, you're like, yeah, but you're murdering this other tribe, but they don't count. Right. I mean, these are like the old Testament stories. If you grew up in a religious background, you know, it's, it's okay for the Israelites to go commit genocide to the Hittites, but <laughs> it's not a value we really embrace anymore today. Um, and, or it's, you know, it's okay to have slaves, you know, because they don't count. It's okay to, you know, does, does God save everyone? Yes. Uh, but only the people that count. And I think to your point, um, our world has become a lot more inclusive than it used to be. <laughs> and it's part trying of, to, it's trying it's to, trying be, right? to, right. <laughs> I was raised. There in, are still those, yeah. there are still those that, um, that are fighting it <laughs> that are resisting yes so, well it was, you know so i raised i was raised in a dutch uh kind of american tradition this reformed tradition not to get too religious but um the joke right it, if you traveled at all you started to realize hey come on god's not really dutch it's not just our people there's a lot of other really cool people in the world 
and you start to, you, it makes it very obvious. So it's kind of, you know, we're kind of lucky that way that, that, uh, you, that you start to see maybe some of these narratives about, um, how we include others needs to be a lot broader than the tribe has taught us. Um, so when you're thinking about this, so let's like, I love this part of the conversation because I think what it brings us back to is, you know, hopefully we're all committed to human progress. We're all trying to, and it starts at home and the hard thing, right? Anytime you've got these kind of these chapters of your life where all of a sudden a door opens and you see the light and you're like, how did I ever behave this way in the past? Um, and we make fun of our grandparents because they don't see what we see as a newer generation, et cetera. One, or do they? Or do, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah, you know, I've got adult kids that that have all the answers. They, they, yeah, you know, it's like as as parents, we go in and out of being we're smart, we're dumb, we're smart, we're dumb, we're smart, we're dumb, depending on 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 where what their point in life is. Um, right, right. Have things changed? Have they not changed? Um, well, well, or, you know, maybe, no, but, but I think, you know, for accountability as an example um, and seeing our values as an example, part of it is identifying our own bias. Well, do you agree with this? Do you agree that part of the process of becoming more accountable is seeing our own bias first? Accountability can't exist if there's bias. Thank you. Because what <laughs> happens is, so, so here's the thing. Remember, I said accountability is keeping your commitments to people. A commitment is no matter what. Right. And there, and there are 10 relational commitments. And so what happens is if I see you different than I see the person sitting to your right, then I'm going to commit to you differently than I'm going to commit to the person sitting to your right. And if I'm committing differently to you than to that individual, then am I really keeping the commitment? Am I being accountable? And the answer is no. Right. So if I'm treating you different because of where you went to school, the length of your hymn, uh, the, your hairline, how you dress, the color of your skin, where you grew up, then, then I'm, first of all, one of the 10 commitments is a commitment to, to um, lead people to their potential, to be their best. I'm not going to lead you to your potential if I'm biased in any way against you, whether it's, whether that bias is something that I'm aware of or not. And there's a lot of bias that we're just not aware of about right. ourselves. Right. So is so is part of the process of being, I mean, I think this is where accountability beyond yourself is really helpful with somebody you can trust because, because we can't see this in ourselves very well. I mean, you can, if you really go looking for it, but generally you need an outside set of eyes to help you see it. Is that and that's why you need to be a part of accountability circle and have some people around you that get it. Right. That, that you're willing to listen to, and then we'll speak compassionately to you. Look at a program. I had a speech once and I, I, I'm, I show up the day before the program. Um, I wanted to be in the room. I wanted to get a feel for what was going on that night. I had dinner with the COO of the company. I had spoken for them twice before the next day I'm speaking to uh, 500 people in their uh, mid-level leadership. And at dinner the night before the leader goes, Sam, just everyone in the room tomorrow does not, no one in the room has a college education. Is what he said. Hmm. Keep it simple. 
give them two or three good points and you're going to be great. You know, our people, you've spoken to us. <laughs> and so he just put a ceiling on 500 people. He yeah. told me, keep it simple, right. dumb it down. Don't, he should have reached across the table that night at dinner and said, Sam, you know, grab me by the collar and said, Sam, you know, I love you. I keep bringing you back, but I just want you to know these 500 people tomorrow, they're important. I want you to give them everything you have. Don't leave anything out. Let's take them up a notch. Right. Well, and, and this, right, this is part of your accountability movement. This is, I mean, part of what's wrong with accountability is what we believe about other people. But people don't have a college education, therefore they can't handle complicated ideas or sophisticated right, which ideas. Which goes back to the bias. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's so I, I think about that because, you know, my father-in-law didn't go to college. Um, <laughs> Some of the smartest people you meet didn't go to college. Right? Yeah, he didn't go to college. Of course, he spent his teen years in a concentration camp in uh, wow. in Germany and came to the United States, um, went into the military, went into work, ended up uh, building his own manufacturing facility and lived the American dream. I mean, had built an amazing life, both in terms of family, community, donating, committing to the community and the, the what he created for himself. Uh, my father didn't go to college um, and he, he wanted to go to college. He wanted to be a uh, astrophysicist and he was smart enough to do it, but he didn't come from a family that could afford it. Right. And so he went out went to work, started his own business, and he created success. Um, Bill Gates didn't graduate college. I mean, we can go on and on and on. But so so as soon as we start making statements like that, now, let me let me let me give it. Let me share it to you this way. And the people that are listening on this podcast, I've shared a lot. I have no idea what what else we're going to talk about. This may be the most important thing we talk about because it's how you see people. And two things. One. What you allow in your space, you condone. What you allow in your space, you condone. So if I allow someone to say something that disrespects people, then I'm I'm supporting it in silence. Right. And this is this is why heinous things have happened throughout history because people didn't speak up. This so is, I go out to yeah. so I go out to dinner with a friend. You know, my wife and I were out with this other couple, and he starts to tell me a story. And he says, he starts. This 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 individual that he says, um, this is her position, which means she earns over one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a year. And you'd think she knows better. And then he went on to talk about. What she did or didn't do or whatever. And but as soon as he said that, I stopped him and I said, I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Um, I want to hear the story, but. So what you're saying is if she was only earning 60 or 70,000, <laughs> it'd be okay. She would, <laughs> right. she, she's probably dumb. Well, what's the money no, got no, to no, do no. I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. I said, well, but you did say that. You, implied you it, did yeah. say that. And so here is what, what I want to point out. I've fallen into this trap. I've said things like that in the past. I know that I have, but doggone it. I'm working to be better. And I don't want to say things like that. And I don't want bias. And I don't want to categorize people. I don't want to label people. I want to see people as people, as all infinite possibilities. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Your strengths aren't the same as mine. That doesn't make you better. That doesn't make you worse. It just sure. means you're you and I'm me. 
Right. And so, but what you allow in your space, you condone. Now, the way I said it, I said it kind of jokingly and I tried to keep it light. I didn't get in his face and put my no, finger no. there. But I think that's the point, right? Is is you're doing it to help them become better. You're not doing that to show that they're bad or they're wrong or that they're Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If if we if we don't, then 20 years from now, we're going to be living in the same world we're living in now. And I don't think that, I think there's a lot of good out there, but I don't think we're as good as we can be. So I think let's, let's all work to make it better. This is something I talk about a lot in our own business. You know, we have compliance, we have rules, we have things we have to do so we don't get into trouble. Um, but I think that's kind of the wrong way to approach most of it, right? I mean, my question is, how do we help people do the right things? So the wrong thing doesn't even appear on the radar. Um <sighs> Yeah. So I speak in the ethics and compliance industry okay. and I'm like, I'm like, I don't understand that industry. You. And so I asked somebody once a, a company that I case studied, this is just an amazing organization. And I said, do you have a compliance officer? And you would have thought, I mean, he just was dumbfounded. You it's like, you would have thought I said, do you love your kids? Well, of course I love my kids. Do you have a compliance officer? And he stopped. He, he, he didn't know. What, and then, and then he said, all of us. Wow. All so, of us. Yeah. So it's all of our if, business. If yeah. All of our people, everyone, we, we have a set of values that we live that tell us what's right and wrong. And so look, if there's some standard that you have to comply with, um, I, I get that. Someone has to educate the team. Hey, the government standard or the legal standard or whatever, we have to do this in our business for whatever reason. But an ethics and compliance officer, we need someone to teach ethics. I don't, it doesn't make sense. Why would you let someone work in your organization that wasn't ethical? Right. No, well, exactly. I mean, I think um, to your point, and, and we're very gifted where I am because our head of compliance is we call him a unicorn because he doesn't approach it like the, you know, like the naughty librarian or something where he's there with a ruler to slap your hands. He's there to help people raise their frequency, to do a better job, to step up to the bar. We all expect ourselves to be living at, um, which is, a. but by the way, it's, it's like raising kids when you, you know, and, and I saw a friend do this and I, I picked it up because I thought it was so brilliant. You know, when there was something heavy he had to correct his kids with, he'd sit down and he'd say, rather than say, you did this wrong, he'd say, you know, here's the things I love about you. Here's the things that you do so well. And I just I just noticed that you did this, which doesn't fit who you are, or how you behave or who you want to become. It's not it's not it's not who you want to be. It's not the level you want to play at. You know, so let's talk about why that happened. And let's talk about how we don't do, how we move past it, how we don't do that again, how we build into your point, these narratives so that the next time this happens, we shift gears. We don't, we don't go down this road again. Um, and and I love yeah. that, but you know, isn't it just easier to slap them around and <laughs> yell and, at them um, yeah, yeah. and yell at them? And, and, and isn't that what a lot of people do is they just take the easy way out. And so whether it's, you know, you mentioned parenting. Uh, there's a parenting adage that leaders try to use, and it doesn't work as a parent and doesn't work as a leader. And it is do as I say, not as I. Not as I do, right? See, you know it. Everyone <laughs> right. knows it. Well, right. that doesn't work. It doesn't work with your kids. It doesn't work in your organization. It doesn't work in the community. Right. If you want something 
You want people to act right? You need to act right. You want people to work hard? You need to work hard. I mean, if you're the leader, it's all eyes on you. Leadership's not easy. And and people think, well, now I'm I'm the leader, so I get the corner office, I get the reserved parking spot. No. You're the chief no, janitor. <laughs> no, you're serving the entire organization now. Right. Yeah. You, as a leader, you are responsible for the safety and success of everyone in that organization. It's right. an incredible responsibility. It's not a parking spot in an office. No. And I, I think also that, you know, it, well, it kind of reminds me of the conversation. So, you know, I, I think of hiring and firing that way. If, if I've hired somebody and they can't reach their potential, you know, one, I've made a horrible mistake, maybe in who I've picked, but I've also made a mistake along the way in how we've helped them get to what their, you know, higher purpose is working in this organization. And, you know, and I take that very personally, we try and do accountability, uh, I'm sorry, not accountability, but um, expectation agreements, you know, here's your plan, here's your goal, here's how we're measuring that. What do you need from me? How can I help you? Exactly. Um, not, not just what do I expect from you, right? Because if I'm not helping you make that happen, then you know, probably won't happen. Um, yeah. And cut out the annual review while we're at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did mean, all actually. The annual, all an annual review does is tick off good people. Yeah. If I don't do something right, you should, you should tell me today. It just happened. Why would you want to wait six months so that I, I, you're going to, you're going to condemn me for something I don't even remember happening in the first place. And you're going to allow me to go six months and re possibly repeat it. That makes no sense. It's crazy. No, that, I mean, that's the whole part of the, I mean, annual operating plans are important, but not as rigid annual plans. It should be a plan that you're continually updating and changing just like the people plans that you have. I, I think the, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, when people are accountable, when people um, are responsible when people are living their values and their actions are following their beliefs, as you say. Um, I think, you know, and when you have, when you're, when you're managing against those expectations, everyone's looking at it all the time. It's, to me, it should be a self-graded test. To me, they should know the answer. There shouldn't be, the other reason you don't need an annual review is they should sort of be looking at this with you on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis saying, oh, hey, here's where we need to shift change. By the time you get to the end of the year, it should be celebrating what you did, celebrating some of the failures that you know, didn't happen because we we misjudged, misunderstood, or whatever, what you know, for for whatever reason, and then resetting and realigning, and um, and coming up with an annual plan. Because we do need to probably look twelve months out, but then it shouldn't ever really be an annual plan. But an annual plan is a strategic plan. Here's right. the thing: the accountable leader. If I'm an accountable leader, I'm constantly giving you feedback, both good and con constructive where it needs to be constructive. I'm I'm celebrating your successes. And if something if there's a slip up, I'm sitting down and, and having a conversation like you just described the father having with the child. And the annual review then instead of an annual review, maybe that becomes an annual discussion of what's your goals for the next year? How do you want to grow? What education do you need? How can I support you on your personal journey? What are you trying to do at home with your family? Right. I mean, you know, it, it, those kinds of conversations are powerful conversations for leaders to have. They're so powerful. I know one organization where the leadership is constrained to five, five people. Each leader only leads five people. Now, you want to talk about incurring an expense. Your 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 range of leadership is five people. 
And you have a one hour conversation every week with each of those people. And it's their conversation. They direct it. And you're talking about what's going on in their world and how they want to grow and how they want to be better. And you spend an hour each week with each person. You don't think if you spend that kind of time with someone, you get to know them, you can serve them, you can help them be their very best. What does that do for the relationship? I mean, I I think that's essential. I I don't, I mean, when people have, I I don't mean, I assume you mean five direct reports in that situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you could have obviously a lot of people under those five, but it's the five that you're directly responsible. Well, each of those might have five. Right. (laughs) And so on and so on. Yeah. Um, No, but, and I, I think, you know, I also think there's also, you know, Part of it too is how do you have, you know, speed is one of the things you mentioned. You talk about, you know, um, in this kind of accountability movement, the quality of leadership, the strength of culture leads to the speed of execution. And I assume you want high quality execution at speed, right? Right. <laughs> Not just it's always crappy, good. Crappy well, speed. remember, yeah. your values touch on four areas. One of right. those is what is excellence here? Right. Professional values, what is excellence here? Well, yeah. So, yeah, there is a standard. What's best? Yeah, best is defined by the by the people who who need need best. Um, so when you talk about so so thinking through this, so if if as an example, this situ- this situation with only five people, and I don't know how maybe the organization is twenty people, maybe it's fifty, but or maybe it's hundreds or maybe it's thousands. The challenge that that I start to have when you get to limiting some of that and you get to speed, if you're in a tech organization uh, where I've spent a bunch of time in the past. Um, you know, speed is really important um, because everything's, you know, you have a dynamic environment, you've got, you know, it's not the big fish that eat the small fish anymore. It's the fast fish that eats the slow fish, I like to say. Um, and so, and to get to speed of it, you know, if you look at how, for example, the army splits off special operations, they completely transform the way that the organizations report, right? They, they give people more flexibility of decision-making. They expect creative processes versus if you're in the army and in bureaucracy, it's very hierarchical. It maybe probably is limited to a few people that are reporting to a person. And there's a lot of verticality to it where I think, I guess, here's my question. If you want to get to speed, um, how do you manage a lot of people and be at speed? Is that possible? Well, so that's the whole key to this. Hmm. The key to this is you you know what your values are. And 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 it, remember, it's a great set. So it connects their foundational. They deal with character. Professional deals with excellence. Relational, internal, and external, as well as community. Now, all I have to do is make a decision that aligns with those values. And, and so what happens, the reason speed becomes a, a, a factor in this, an organization where accountability is incredibly high because it's inspired in the culture is I don't have to come to you to get your opinion. I can. I mean, I may, but I'm positioned to make a decision and I know you've got my back. I know if I make a decision that connects with the values, you're going to support me. And so, look, um, I, I was online this morning and I use their little on the website. I was chatting with somebody and I needed some service. And they said, and it, the value of the service was $15. I needed a credit. Okay. $15, not even worth my time, but I I thought it would be quick and easy. So I went online, chatted. They said, okay, I got all the information. Is it okay if I 
send this over to the billing department, blah, 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 blah. So now this person is now dropping this conversation on someone else. Well, and I'm going to go back to Happy State Bank. I've used that example several times just because they were a big case study. The tellers have what they call Texas, you know, you know what a teller does at the end of the day. Last thing before the teller leaves. They, they count out their, their drawer. Right. They count out their drawer because you know what? They, the drawer, when they started the day, had X amount of dollars. Let's say it had $1,000 in it. I don't know what it has. $1,000. And all these deposits come in and people withdraw. And so at the end of the day, the piece of paper says you're supposed to have $3,462.73. And they better have that. Well, they do that every day. But the one thing they don't count is what they call their Texas scratch pads. And what they've done is they've taken a piece of cardboard and they've taken dollar bills, $5 bills, $10 bills, and put them on there with a cover, put some glue on the back. And literally it's like a, it's like a pad of paper, but it's money. So they have, they have some of the pads are dollar bills. It's like 10 or $15. Some of them are 25. Some of them are $50. And if you go in and there's a problem and something wasn't handled right, the teller will simply go, let me get this fixed for you. They fix it and they say, you know, I'm so sorry you had to come in to deal with that today. I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee and they'll oh, hand wow. them a Texas scratch pad. The, they will hand them cash. They don't need to report it. They don't wow. need to get permission to do it. They, they're they empowered. They know what the values are. They know how they're supposed to act. And wow. so you want to talk about speed. What's the one thing a customer who's complaining does not want to do? What's the one thing? Uh, hear why? <laughs> no. Tell their story a second time. Right. You know, it's like, I've explained to you a situation. Okay, let me pass you on to someone who can handle that. Do you think I'm going to be more relaxed when I tell it the next time? Oh, it Heck gets no. worse every time. Yeah, exactly. Well, what happens if you're, you're, do you train your people? Do they know what they're doing? Do you have precedent? Do you have experience? Do you have a strong set of values that says how to act? Well, then why can't each person make these decisions? Now, that doesn't mean that a teller is going to break ground on a uh, $3 million expansion on the back of the building. No, there's probably a committee that decides that. But there's so much that can be decided in the moment by the individual. And when that person is treated that way, they feel valued. They feel appreciated. They feel important. They're not going to go anywhere else. They'd rather die than let you down. Right. You've just done something different than anybody else has done. Uh, anywhere that they've spent time, probably. Exactly. And yeah. this is accountability. People don't realize it. This is what accountability is. And do you think that person's going to work their butt off to do an amazing job to get more done than what's expected? Of course, of course they are. Yeah. yeah. So performance becomes lesser of an issue, lesser of a conversation. Right. No. And, and, well, and, and you're not waiting, you're not, well, think about it too. I mean, when, when you have to pass somebody off to your supervisor, does that cost the organization? It costs them a lot. Does it cost more than a cup of coffee? Multiples of a cup of coffee, right? Um, versus you could have just solved this with a cup of coffee and, and you know, I'm sorry. And this is the other thing I always say, you know, when wherever I am and there's a customer service issue, you know, and somebody wants to explain their process for why it's the wrong decision, 
I'm always like, look, I, I appreciate that um, this is how it works. Uh, wasn't what I asked. And really, I, I'm not here to solve your organizational issues. Um, I'm here to get this problem solved, right? And it, and I think, you know, that part of that is training part. There's a lot of reasons why people do that when you, when you have those issues. But it's, uh, to your point, if somebody just said, I'm so sorry, here's a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever they can do to solve it and empower that person who realizes that it's the wrong decision to find the right solution, it just makes, it takes a lot of cost and pressure off the organization and actually gets things solved for the customer, which is the ultimate thing I think we're trying to accomplish. Exactly. Um, so this, this podcast is, you know, all about people trying to break through barriers in their life. That's what Kick Aspirational is about. How do you, you know, break through things, kick ass in a positive and inspirational way. Um, you wrote a book called Pivot that's all about, you know, I think when basically you know, pivoting is generally when people are stuck or things aren't working the direction they're going, they're finding a new, a new path. Um, you talk about three sort of critical life-changing questions um, to help people, I think, make pivots. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, how people can make some sort of life-changing directions in their quest? Absolutely. Um, this particular book came about, um, and the important, the backstory on this is just as important as the content. Cause when you know the backstory it might change how you perceive things, but um, right. I had a client I was supposed to speak for a multinational company, speaking to 500 people in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, big main stage event. Normally before program, I have one call with the client. We talk about the event, what their goals, aspirations are, um, who's in the room, what are the particular challenges at the moment. And then I pull it together and, and create the program. Um, for some reason with this, and I always end with one question, always end with um, if to hit it out of the park, you know, a grand slam home run, what needs to happen? And almost inevitably, Every client says the same thing. I find it fascinating, but I still ask the question. And they say, um, give, them, give them three points, motivate them, motivate them. They say motivate them, which I find that interesting. Because um, like my, my, I want to ask, why aren't they motivated? Um, <laughs> but they say motivate them and give them three good points that they can take back and implement. And you know, we've been talking for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. Have I shared three points with you? Uh, I don't think it's been three points. I think it's been one concept that has been, you know, kind of explained in different from different points of view. Is that right? But hopefully I've given you lots of points. There's no, no, been like, lots of things, you know, just lots of approaches to this. Yeah. This concept. Like yeah. action follows belief. That's a point. We can talk about that for <laughs> half an hour. Okay. So I've I'm got like pages thinking, of notes, by the way. You've yeah, got so. pages of notes. Exactly. There's more than three points. And so I'm thinking three points. Are you kidding me? That's the first five minutes. That's and I kind of chuckle, yeah. you know, I chuckle. So, so for some reason with this client, I had three calls. Don't know why I had three calls. We ended up with three calls every time and ended the same way. Finally, after the third call, I said, what would the program look like if I shared three points? Now it's like game on. Okay. I'm challenged. And I could not come up with the answer. I get on the plane. I fly to Atlanta where the program is going to be. I get into the hotel. I'm literally sitting in the hotel the evening before I order up dinner. I, 
I just like to sit in my room and relax before a program. And um, I'm sitting there eating my dinner and literally as if someone was standing there right next to me, I hear in my right ear, three questions, (laughs) three questions. Yeah. Uh, And that's, that's the origin of pivot. That is. And it's, it's, what do you believe? What do you focus on? What do you commit to? And as soon as, soon as I, I mean, I, I, screw, I immediately wrote this down on a pad that I had out and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, now you can believe what you want to believe about the situation. Doesn't matter to me. I know what I believe. And, right. and, and, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, you know, I thought about this. I'd pondered on it. I literally had prayed over it. I'm trying to figure out what, are these three points that I'm supposed to talk about? And those questions came in. And so I did something I've never done in my career. Now I've been, now I've been speaking 28 years. This was about three and a half years ago. I've been speaking 25 years, I'm a hall of fame speaker. I'm past presidential speaker association. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I've been around the block once or twice when it comes to speaking. I've never rewritten a speech the night before a program. That's insane. Why would you do that? I have stuff that works. I don't need to rewrite a program. But in this moment, I felt compelled to do that. And I rewrote my speech. And the next day, this group of people went nuts. I mean, they just went nuts. It was amazing, the reaction. And so I've built this into everything that I do now because it is so important. What do you believe? Slash. Okay, what do you believe? And what do you believe about what? What do you believe about life? What do you believe about people? What do you believe about your possibility? What do you believe about the potential of people around you? And then how does that transfer into, how does that show up in the form of, of your values? And, and we've spent a lot of time talking about values. We need to know this. Right. If we don't take the time to know this, then we're just acting aimlessly. I was in New York once and the night before a program, a dinner of executives, each of their own company, we were having a conversation and one guy asked, he was brave enough to ask, what if you we were talking about values and treating people. And he says, what if you don't know what you believe? I'd never been asked that question before. It was a very profound moment. Take the time to figure it out. And there are ways to do that. So what do you believe? What do you focus on? Well, and and I guess, yeah, yeah, go ahead. ahead. I I assume you're going to explain how you can find out what you believe if you don't know what you believe. Um, Well, needless to say, if you're, if you if you become a member of the accountability Institute and you're going to figure it out, yeah, you're going to figure it out. Cause we're going to step you through it, but you know, it's all laced in the book pivot and uh, um, the accountability circle between those two books. There's a lot of content there that, that touches on this. Well, and, and the next question is go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. But I think just, just touching on that really quickly. I think there's a lot of people who say they know what they believe, but then I think a lot of people, all of us need an audit on whether we are actually, if we actually do believe it, because if you do believe it, your values will be shown in your actions. If your actions aren't connecting to what you claim your beliefs are, you've got a pretty big gap that needs to be solved. Either change your belief or change your, you know, or, or exactly. re- reinforce those beliefs so that when you are in these situations, your actions change. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. And there's also perception, right? I can't tell you how many leaders I work with that feel like they're doing right by their people, right? but they're not. They, they, they don't quite get it. And no one's willing to turn the mirror around. I, I had a client once, well, a client when the pandemic hit March of, of 2019, he says, Sam, 
No worries. It's business as usual. We're just working from home. And I said, wait a second. You might be working from home, so you have it half right, but it's not business as usual. Your people that are working from home, their spouses are home, their kids are home. You know, you can't be looking at billable hours the same way that you looked at them last month. And and he wasn't there for his people because he didn't see that. So he thinks that he's got it. Right. But he doesn't. And so that's why we need people in our life. That's why we need coaches. We need accountability partners in the sense of understanding your values, your purpose and your mission. Not someone that's going to not someone that's going to say, did you do what you said you were going to do? Right. And somebody that doesn't you know, have kind of a conflict of interest or leverage over you. Right. I think that you want somebody who can be honest. You're not worried about why they're telling it to you. Like, what, what are they trying to get from these sort of things? Right. I know this is somewhat of a tangent, but I had someone share with me, I don't know, a couple of months ago. He said, Sam, I want to be I want to be in an accountability group. I said, oh, tell me about that. What does that look like? Um, I mean, you know, this is my thing. So I'm going to engage. He says, well, I want to be in a group of people that if I don't do something that I say I'm going to do, you know, they'll hold me to it. I go, you know, I have a an accountability circle with some people, but I don't know that I'd want to be in a group with you. And he was like, what? Why wouldn't you want to be in a group with me? I said, well, it's not like you're not a nice guy or anything. I said, but I don't want to be in a group with someone that doesn't do what they say they're going to do. Right. And there was this pause. I said, I want to be in a group of people who do what they say they're going to do and who challenge me to be my best and want me to challenge them to be their best. And so he says, oh, I says, yeah, because who wants to be with people who don't do what they say they're going to do or what they're supposed to do? I mean, it's like a client once where they were all laughing one time, 24 leaders in the room, and there was three of them in the back laughing. I said, what's so funny? Oh, we're just George. You know, he never gets his work done. He doesn't. I said, what do you do? Oh, we go into his out inbox and we just take it and do it ourselves. And I'm like, oh, cool. Do you also get his paycheck? Yeah. I'm like, why do you let people like that stay around in an organization? It right. doesn't make sense. Right. Anyway. No, well, we had this, we had this at a large company I was at. They did these bonuses based on a bell curve and uh, something that, that I guess, uh, um, uh, just don't, uh, uh, Jack uh, Welch wrote about in one of his books, never implemented it at GE, but everyone said you have to go do it now. And, um, you know, the idea is that you're going to have, it's like grading on a bell curve, you know, I guess in a big class at some big schools, people do this. Um, I went to smaller schools where they just didn't let bad students in. So the assumption was everyone was going to get an A because uh, why would you be here if you weren't going to do the work? Like you would get kicked out of class if you didn't do the reading sort of thing. And um, so I'm why can't this. your business be that way? Well, no. And I said, and my point was, I would never have somebody on my team who's a C, D or E player. If that's the issue, why don't we get rid of the, why don't we help those people go work for a competitor, you know, so they can ruin their business. I, I don't get that. Um, so I, I think to your point, like when you actually have a culture that doesn't tolerate dysfunction, doesn't tolerate, um, you know, mediocrity where people are, you're hiring people who want to live deliberately, not hiring people just looking for a vacation and a paycheck, um, you know, and hiring people who want to find purpose at work. Hopefully they find it outside work as well, but they're, if they're, if their work isn't, if they can't connect their, their work and their reward, if they can't connect their work and their reward to their purpose, then I guess, I mean, they, I, there are much larger organizations where people are doing meaningful mean, things that don't feel meaningful, but I've even seen large companies um, 
where people who are working on the line doing remedial type work still feel meaning and purpose because they understand how that work connects to the rest of the enterprise and how that makes the world a better place. So I, I really don't even buy it there. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, am I getting that right? Am I missing something there? No, absolutely. Everyone needs to know how what they do connects to the, the overall mission of the organization. Because if you know how your job connects to the mission, then you're going to find that meaning and purpose because the, the mission cannot be completed. Everybody's work matters. Say, yeah. Without you. And I'm not saying, well, because the mission is not completed if it's not completed to that level of excellence that we've already defined as who we are. Right. So just crossing the finish line is not completing the mission. Right. Um, so, yeah. And leadership, again, you know, we can have a whole conversation around how you create a sustainable, high performance culture. Uh, but the fifth step is celebration, which right. means you walking into my, not just as a company, not just company wide, not just holiday party. That's, you know, people do that because they feel obligated. I'm talking about walking into the department of six or seven people and say, you nailed it last week. Look at, look at these two letters we got, you know, and, and doing something spontaneous in the moment or just walking up to me and, and slapping me on the back and telling me what a great job I'm doing. I mean, and it doesn't matter. It shouldn't just be the VP of sales that's getting a slap on the back. Why can't the janitor get this? Look, yep. if the janitor doesn't keep the area, someone's going to slip and get hurt. And now someone goes home injured. Right. So who's important? No, totally. I, you know, I'm going to brag about my older son real quickly. The uh, So he worked for a plumber friend of ours. And one of the things this plumber taught him was that when we go into a home, we always leave it better than we left it, you know, because plumbers are you know, not just fixing pipes, but at the end of the day, they're walking out and leaving experience for their, their customer. And a uh, big lesson for me, they did this over and over for the summer. So he got a job as a bellboy at a, a, a kind of a, a brew pub. And the last day he's going in early. I said, why are you going in early? And he said, well, he said, you know, I learned on this plumbing job before that we always leave this wherever we're working better than we found it. And he said, you know, our break room at work is, is gross, is disgusting. This is where people take their time off in between shifts. He said, I'm going to go in and clean the break room before I leave the place uh, of work. You know, I'm done for the summer because that's my gift to the place that I work so that I can leave that place better than I found it. I get a little emotional when I talk about it because I'm like, good Lord, that's great training. I wish I had given him that training. It was a, plum a plumber friend of ours who gave him that training. Um, but I think- Sounds like a boy scout. Oh my God. It's just, it's uh, you know, he's not a perfect We're all Every kid has their issues. And so I'm not trying to say he's a perfect kid, but it just, it was such a powerful uh, lesson for me to learn that from my own kid. I was like, geez, that, what a great example of, of how we should be thinking about where we're working, how we're contributing to the place where we are. Exactly. Now, don't you think someone sees that and notices that and then go, Oh, what could I be doing around here to make it a little better? It raises everybody's level, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like throwing a, a stone into a pond. You know, his action is the first ripple. The second ripple is impacting you and you right. doing something. And that's right. a magnification of, of his accountability at that point. So he's doing things to create a more accountable world just through his actions. That's powerful. Uh, it's, it's profound. I I've been reading a lot of Hannah Arendt lately, who's a, she's a kind of a political philosopher from, you know, kind of the World War II era, post-World War II, who was Jewish, left, left Germany, 
and wrote a lot about how totalitarian regimes come to power, how people you know, avoid responsibility or how the kind of the banality of evil, how people like Adolf Eichmann, you know, literally wasn't smart, was not this great monster. He was just doing his job efficiently because he wanted to be part of this thing because he had no values. So he accepted whatever the group values were and just went out and performed them because he was loud voice in the room always wins if you don't have values. <laughs> right. Right. And, and well, and, and right. And kind of a really long conversation. You can write, you can, write you can also yeah. write that down. Yeah. Loud voice in the room always wins if you don't have values. Yeah. Um, well, and, and we, I think we've seen a lot of that. Um, I don't care what, you know, which party people vote for. We've seen a lot of that lately where um, yep. uh, there's just loud voices and not a lot of conversation about how that connects back to values and what, what matters. Um, but um, the point that I was getting to here, oh, was that I think, you know, when you talk about the importance of values, the importance of how it leads to action, ultimately what all of this means, if I'm understanding you correctly, is the difference between living deliberately or living aimlessly, I think, as you said a minute ago. Um, is that ultimately what accountability brings us back to is, is having a life that is lived with purpose, a life that is lived deliberately, a life that ultimately creates. And, and where I was going with Hannah Arendt was she basically says, I don't want to be called a philosopher. I don't want to be called a political philosopher. I just want to, I want to help people take action in the, in community because that ripple effect that is, is what ultimately matters. We come and go, we're not going to be here forever, but it's what we leave behind. Um, and I think you said significance is one of your values that happens because we take action in community and that action has corresponding reactions. Is that, is that sort of where that comes from? Absolutely. If, if we're not taking action, then what good is it? If we're not making a difference, then why are you here? Remember I said, your purpose is what brings you joy in the service of others. Hmm. Your purpose is kind of like, look, we need to breathe to live, but breathing is not our purpose. <laughs> right. A business needs to make money to stay in business, but making money is not really its purpose. Right. When the purpose has a higher level than that, that drives us to operate at a higher level. It drives us to be our best. And that's what we want to do. We want to create an environment where we want to be our best. And then like the example with your son, you know, we encourage people around us to want to be their best. That's what accountability is all about. And then guess what? When people are working to be their best, the stuff gets done. Remember, we're responsible for things, but we're accountable to people. This is a relational conversation. It's between human beings. I mean, that's when not only does stuff get done, that's when great things happen, I think. I mean, that's when, hey, if somebody gives, I mean, I talk about this a lot, like humans are the only animals that can get, can deliberately invest in another animal, right? There's, there, there are examples of, you know, kind of um, symbiotic relationships in nature, which are wonderful, but the animals aren't like deliberately trying to give something to somebody else in, in, as right, far as I know. Right. And, and you, you just, a minute ago, you said something about being intentional, being on purpose. You know, I just last night had a conversation with my wife and I said, um, we try to, we try to give and we try to give a lot. I don't know that we're doing the best job we could because I said, I said, I think we could be, more intentional about our giving. I think we, I, I think we could up our game and I think we could be more strategic, meaning not, I mean, 
with purpose and meaning and focus in a direction, yeah, in a direction, not just giving, but giving to gain, you know, to be able to make a difference in a certain area that is important to us. And, and this is a conversation we had. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, in a place, you know, the last few days I've been thinking about my time. Where am I spending my time? What do I want to be doing with my time? What is important to accomplish professionally, personally, all of these things, being purposeful, being intentional, not just waking up and 10 years have gone by. Right. Um, life is short. Life is short. We need to be doing this now. No, I totally agree. And I think, which brings us, I mean, you've got a new book coming out and obviously I want to plug the book, but more importantly, I think it ties in perfectly with what we're talking about, which is the accountability advantage, design a sustainable high-performance culture to build a stronger business community and people. I mean, this comes back to what it's all about ultimately, that that if we create a culture, if we're investing before we receive, if we're if we believe in a generous universe and a generous God, whatever people want to call it, um, that if we believe in creation of wealth, that as we invest, as we give, something comes back. We don't necessarily do it for that reason, but we just know that that's how you expand, mm-hmm. you know, things that are valuable in the world. Um, how does this book tie into helping people um, design with intent? You know, I think design signals intent uh, to quote Bill McDonough. Well, how does this help them do that? The whole book is focused on putting this into action. And we've talked about a lot of things, but, and you even brought this up. You said, how do we do it? How do we, and that, and that's where, that's where we focus. So it's about stepping it out and culture is critical because what's the culture of your business? What's the culture of your organization? What's the culture of your family? And your immediate family, you know, you're, you're just, you starts there, your partner and kids. Um, What's the culture in the community that you live? Because we can impact that. And so here's the thing. One of the, I discovered several years back when I started on this journey, that accountability is at the very foundation of being our very best individually, organizationally, and in a community. This is the foundation. This, everything builds on top of this. You want more of something, it will come from building a culture in your life and in your organization that inspires people to choose to be accountable. I don't, in a business, you want more, better customer service, you want more customer service, it's gonna flow from accountability. You want more creativity in your business, it's gonna flow from accountability. You want more productivity, it's gonna flow from accountability. You wanna create a more safe, emotionally safe environment for people, it's gonna flow from accountability. You want more communication, better leadership, it's gonna flow from accountability. It's the same thing in a family. Um, It's so important, and that's why I've just dedicated everything that I do to looking through this lens. That's why we created, that's why I founded the Accountability Institute. That's why we created the Certified Accountability Advisor. I would love to have a just throngs of people that wanna be a part of that, take that message out because we can change our lives, we can change our businesses, we can change our community and ultimately we can change the world. We just have to take that first step. I love this, Sam. Um, One, I'm. I will buy your book and I'll be accountable to that. I love, I buy a lot of books and I can't wait to buy the new book, the accountability advantage. 
I'm also going to buy Pivot because I want to get those first three questions right. I want to understand that a little bit more. Um, and I'm going to go to the Accountability Institute and uh, I'm going to explore the opportunity to become certified and or find maybe somebody in my organization who ought to be certified to help us all be more accountable and be, be awesome. more deliberate and put our values in action, um, our beliefs in action. This is uh, this has been a really profound conversation, uh, incredibly enlightening. And I just, I, I can't thank you enough for making the time today to uh, to be on the Kick Aspirational Podcast, Sam. Thank you, David. It's truly been an honor and uh, a pleasure to not only spend time with you, but have a chance for you and I to share an important message with a lot of people. Well, I, I hope this this is the start of a, of a, a, a a building relationship. So thank Absolutely. you. Thank you for let's, your time. Let's grow this friendship. Let's do this again. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for joining another episode of the Kick Aspirational Podcast. You know, the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport. What I'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions. What does your life look like? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the barriers that you're trying to break through? Because at the end of the day, the Kick Aspirational Podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own. I'd love to hear what you're working on. I'd love to join you in your battles. And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be Kick Aspirational. Kick Aspirational.